the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. We've got some very important news to cover today. This is really, really, really big, really big. It is important, though. We have got to tell, we've got to talk about the fact that we have discovered through a Time Magazine article exactly what is happening, what the game plan was uh, for the left with stealing the election, or at least influencing the election. And so we'll talk about that in a moment. That's what you need to know and it's a big one it's a big one because um the the article which is in time magazine it was released online today it'll be in the print edition of time magazine if there is such a thing i don't even know if i knew there was one uh it's dated i think february 15th so about a week from now we're going to talk with john carney the great john carney from uh the um, breitbart.com the finance and economics editor he is going to give us an update it's very important update on the economy bad jobs numbers earlier we'll see what carney says about why we'll also talk Talk with Ted Malik yesterday. Sam Sorbo was very popular. I got an email from some folks. Dave Erickson on that new book uh, called uh, Framing Flynn. Also very good. So you can always go to ProAmericaReport.com, and when you do, you should know that you go there and you will be able to uh, you'll be able to get. Um, uh, all of the back interviews, all the interviews we've done in the last couple of uh, last couple of weeks, especially, you'll be right there on the top, and you'll be able to tune in on them. So uh, feel free to do that, and I hope you uh, enjoy that Sam Sorbo interview. All right, we'll talk to Carney in a minute. All right, let, let me get back to what you need to know today. What you need to know today, and it's a very important. This is a very important topic. There is an article that it ran in Time Magazine, okay? It ran in Time Magazine, and Time Magazine's piece is by Molly Ball. Molly Ball is a journalist. I, I'm not sure where she originated. I didn't know. I don't think I knew she was at Time Magazine yet. She's been um, around different uh, entities as a uh, as a reporter. But there you have it. So she is writing a piece in um, Time Magazine, and she's purported to be a journalist. She's actually a, a liberal. I mean, she's she's liberal in every way. So you shouldn't uh, put too much stock in the fact that she is uh, publishing and looks like a journalist. But she writes a lengthy piece, which I'll put up on social media, which is a description of a set of people who are now coming forward and admitting that they plotted to influence the election. And you say, well, I guess, you know, um, the uh, the National Right to Life is a group that uh, plotted to influence the election. They had a preference, or at least they packed it, and, and, you know, so did the National Rifle Association. They care about gun issues. Everybody that's American has a right to care about the election and to go ahead and to find a way uh, to, um, to uh, uh, be a part of the election system and go ahead and contribute, right? And so you can do it. But in this case, it looks like a bunch of people that came together and they rigged the system. That's what it looks like. 
By their own admission, they went about changing the rules. They went about uh, jimmying and pressuring local official, election officials. They, they, uh, they proposed and then enforced certain uh, rules for media coverage and for what they expected. And they had all these things. And when you read the article, first of all, it reads like a confession. You say to yourself, I am, I say to myself, I'm reminded of Susan Rice who on the way out the door in January of 2017, she wrote an email to herself. And she said, we worked really hard and we did everything by the books. I think that's the phrase she used. We did everything by the books. Well, that sounds a little bit like to me someone, uh, a CYA email, pretty clearly to me. And so there you have it. I think a lot of people think that. I mean, Susan Rice uh, was doing that CYA. That's what the Time Magazine article feels like. It feels like a sort of CYA, like we, and here's why. Because they basically say by the end of this article, we did everything by the books. Well, we didn't break any laws. We just worked really hard and, and we got some really good breaks and, and we took advantage of things that went in our favor. And we really, 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 really worked hard. We're really impressive. We're impressed with ourselves and you should be too. And by the way, we did everything by the book. We did everything by the book. That's how it feels to read this essay in Time Magazine. And I will tell you, I believe what they're doing with that essay, and this is what you need to know, they're telling you, you should believe this because we want you to think we did nothing except by the book. That's what the game plan is. Because here's my question. When you see some people that have otherwise shown in their collective public lives that a willingness to be not just partisan, but completely over the top partisan. I'm talking about Norm Eisen, who's quoted at length. I'm talking about Planned Parenthood. I'm talking about some of these interest groups and some of the players. They're not people that thought, oh, well, we, we really care about these issues. I'm going to articulate that. We'll see how it goes. No, no. These are insiders who know how to, how to knife fight, how to play hardball with the law and with politics. And for four years, they've spent their time bludgeoning the American people and the Trump administration in pursuit of their goal. And you're telling me in this case, it, look, it might be true, but what you're telling me in this Time Magazine article is, we did everything by the book. We didn't break any laws. I don't know. I'm not Mike Lindell. I, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, somebody who has all the inside scoop on stuff, but it doesn't feel right it does not feel right that you have people who are telling you they did it by the book and they stop short of maybe doing some things not by the book. I, I look, I am a historian. I'm, I'm, I'm not a real historian. I'm a, enough of a history buff that I have in my hand right now a book about Pendergast. And Pendergast was the great boss of the Kansas City system, just like Tammany Hall in uh, New York City and every other city had these these uh, incredible corrupt systems of of, uh, of ward bosses who shaped elections not by persuasion but by corruption. That's not a, it's not a fake thing. In fact, there's a great book. I need to talk about it more. There's a great book by a University of Kentucky professor about the fraud in American elections that he wrote about from about 17, I think it's from 1780 until 2004 is when the book was written, a survey 
of the number of times and places where election fraud took place. So here we have Time Magazine, Molly Ball, and this coterie of people quoted in her article, and they're basically saying, just look, we worked hard. We, you know, we fortified the election system against the great threats. We got the result we desperately wanted. And by the way, we did it all by the book. We did it all without breaking any rules. Maybe, maybe, but to me, when I finish that article in Time Magazine, I think to myself, thou doth confess too little. Thou doth confess too little. I think we got to get to the bottom of some of the things that we're now hearing talked about and see if we can tell exactly who might have benefited and if there were people willing or witting or unwitting or otherwise, uh, you know, kind of duped into it, whatever it is, we got to get to the bottom of it and find out exactly what happened. Because I can tell you, there's something funny in the Time Magazine narrative. And as I've told you, the narrative machine is in overdrive. And the narrative machine is in overdrive for two reasons. One, they smell blood in the water. They see the weakness of Republicans who won't fight back. They cave on Marjorie Taylor Greene. They stand up for Liz Cheney. And meanwhile, there's people who were protesters, quote unquote, people who did very little wrong, who are still in jail. Read Julie Kelly. I talked about her earlier. And we're seeing our guys and gals, Republicans, running for the hills, not wanting to fight. So the, the left says, huh, blood in the water. Watch this. We're going to crush some people like we tried to do with General Flynn, like we tried to do with Roger Stone, like we tried to do with a lot of people. We're going to crush them. That's what the narrative machine is used for. The other one is they're scared. They're scared that if we poke around the narrative machine, we might just find that some of the people that said they played it by the book didn't necessarily play it by the book. And as they covered their tail, just like Susan Rice did, history will show the truth and perhaps... The politics of now will get the truth out. So we'll see about that. There's a lot of uh, interesting things. So check out that piece. And when you read it, remember, what you need to know is not that it was a great force of, of left and, and Democrat forces that worked together and they protected the election through all lawful means. That's what they want you to think. Then say to yourself, what am I not being told? What are we not hearing? There's some there there. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk with the great John Carney of Breitbart. Back in a moment. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk in a minute. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Glad to have my friend John Carney back on. John Carney is, of course, the uh, economics and finance editor over at Breitbart, Breitbart.com. You'll see all his writings. He was uh, previously Wall Street Journal guy, business insider. I guess he's been all around. <laughs> you know, maybe that doesn't sound good, John. But So it's a perfect day to have you on because first job numbers of the Biden presidency, admittedly only three weeks into his presidency, but uh, what do they tell us? Uh, John Carney, the numbers were down, I guess. Is it dramatic? Does it matter? Can we tell? Give me a breakdown. Sure. Uh, we added 49,000 jobs in January. That is a very low number. It's around where the estimates were, so we didn't come that far off the estimates. It's just a very bad number when you have 10 million people unemployed. You should be adding 200, 250,000 jobs. 
Uh, instead, we added only 49,000. And to make things even worse, December, which was which was really bad. We knew December was bad. We lost jobs on net in December. That was taken from the loss of 140,000 jobs to a revised estimate of 227,000 lost jobs. So if you combine these two months, we're down you know, 180,000 jobs. It's really not a pretty picture. Uh, we're, we're talking with John Carney over at Breitbart.com, and uh, I got a piece I'm looking at, uh, John, that breaks this out. I'll put it up on social media, you know, some of these numbers. What's it mean uh, on a trend line? I had someone say to me once, you know, you, you look at these things and it's better to look on on the, the trend line than it is to look at the data points. So you got two bad trend lines. What's it mean? Where, what's your sense of it? Or maybe more importantly, what are people talking about for the econ- a larger economy, the economy at large? Sure. Well, let me put it this way. The private sector job growth in this report was just 6,000 jobs. That's pretty close to nothing. You know, just the entire U.S. economy, uh, private sector added just 6,000 jobs. This We didn't get worse than December. So if you want to talk trends, right, at least we didn't Uh lose another 200,000 jobs. So that's good, right? It means that we're not accelerating down, but it does imply that we're on a kind of precipice here um, where the economy is very weak and it when you get down to you know only businesses only adding around 6,000 jobs you're, you're at a point where any bad thing you know natural event unexpected economic event um, a rise in infections that causes things to get locked down could push you in back into negative jobs you get enough of that and that's what can push you into a recession? Um, so, and I hate to do this, but it's sort of, it's natural. You know, it is, the president loses the election, or at least the media says that on November 7th or so after the November 3rd election. And, and you know, uh, you're in this uncertain period, but certainly the country, the um, markets and, uh, and businesses and everybody started to adjust to the idea of a new presidency. Is this on Biden yet? Is this the natural flow of the, the drag of the pandemic? You know, a lot of people said, well, when you get through the summer, there's a lot more freedom in the summer because you have more outside. You get to the October, November, December, it's going to put, you know, you're not, there's no outdoor dining in large parts of the country anymore because too darn cold. It, where, what, what do you think it means? I mean, what are you, what are you worried about? So I, I do think that this is at least partly on Biden. If you look through these numbers, uh, there is very, we lost jobs in manufacturing there's very weak hiring going on in things like mining, of course. I mean, you know, there's a whole areas of the economy that people are going to be very hesitant to expand right now because the rules of the mm-hmm. road are changing, because new regulations are coming in, because you don't know if you're going to be able to get that mining permit. So you're not going so you, so you stop buying the equipment and you start, stop hiring people to carry out the mining. So, you know, the drilling, uh, Timberland, all of these kind of jobs that, that aren't sort of green ready, you know, the, the stuff that Biden and AOC are going to like, these are going to be held back uh, even before the policy goes in. And so I do think this is partly on Biden. I think it, a big part of it is also the fact, I mean, if you look at what happened for a second month in a row to the restaurant and hotel industry, Right. Closing things down, telling people not to travel, don't go out, don't eat, is having a devastating effect on that. And this, it was really bad in December, and it's very bad again in January.
Hey, we're talking with John Carney. John Carney is the finance and economics editor over at Breitbart, Breitbart.com. I'm looking at one of his pieces that breaks down the numbers, the jobs numbers that came out uh, early Friday and what it means and where the unemployment. Um, I guess, you know, um, unemployment's only one figure. You know, uh, I, I often have said, uh, John, I don't know whether it's uh, at all scientific, but it looked pretty good. To, I look at the uh, Wall Street numbers, you look at unemployment, then you look at small business confidence and consumer confidence, and that, those four will give you sort of a directionally where we are. Right now, it kind of feels like we're stuck. It feels like a lot of people are uh, on the edge. How big is the psychology of just what people are feeling, maybe more than whatever the reality is. I mean, is it, I hate to say this, this is, I don't, I mean, I'm critical of this present, but he, he doesn't give you much confidence, just his whole style, his, his, uh, you know, non-presence publicly, whereas Trump, you didn't like it maybe all the time. Other people didn't, I did, but you got this sense of energy. It was pure energy, pure energy all the time, somewhat exhausting. Are, you know, where are we, um, I mean, it feels like there's a, a dark cloud. Uh, it feels like a big dark cloud is sitting there. You're right. Um, Biden constantly, and I've found this extraordinary. Biden, Janet Yellen, Jared Bernstein, his uh, White House economic advisor, are constantly talking down the economy. They, you know, Biden said, you know, it's going to be a t- you know tough, dark winter. Yellen says it's going to be you know a tough few months ahead. This is the you know I won't simply give it to a straight. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I don't want them to, you know, just be booster, you know, telling everything, uh, everything's okay. But it is extraordinary the level of negativity that they're putting out there. And you're, you're right. It contrasts with, for instance, what's going on in the stock markets, uh, all at record highs, the big indexes. The What we're seeing, even from so, so this economic report was bad, the jobs report. But we're seeing in other areas, the surveys of purchase manager surveys say that the manufacturing sector is expanding. The services sector is expanding. Until this report, most of the information we've gotten out of the economy, and, you know, so these aren't, these tend to be surveys. They call them soft data because they're not the, the hard government data. But most of that's been pretty good, suggesting... You know, things aren't all that bad. So I think there is a risk that um, if you keep talking down the economy, you're going to take that soft data and turn it around. You're going to get people too worried. Yeah. It, uh, again, we're talking with uh, John Carney. At Carney on Twitter, Breitbart.com is where he writes, uh, the finance and economics editor for Breitbart.com. Feels like it. What's it feels like? I mean, it feels to me like that. that's right. I mean, you're saying it more carefully than I do. It feels like we're headed into a dark, dark cloud. And, and you're saying, well, right now the numbers are putting us on that edge. We'll see. What do we have to look forward to? I mean, in a weird way, I mean, what comes as the spring comes? Do we have sort of things that will naturally pull us out? You know, do we get more travel? That doesn't feel like it's likely. Do we get, you know, uh, spring break? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but are there things that Super Bowl ads are going way down? I'm only half kidding. I mean, a lot of things feel stuck. Is there something around the corner that you'd say, oh, that that's probably going to start to be maybe a, a breakout for us uh, that, in the economy or in the markets? Well, I, look, I don't see a big breakout, as you were saying. Like, travel is going to be way down. In fact, I think the travel industry has underestimated how much pain they're going to be in for during the, the natural travel seasons of spring and summer. I think that's actually, they're going to be surprised at how little 
people are still traveling. And even though they think it's going to drop off a lot, it's going to be even worse. Uh, We do have vaccinations going on. That helps, right? That can get people in places where you're allowed to go out. That may encourage people to be able to gather together. I think that the but that there are still some parts of the market or of the economy that are doing very well. Housing, for instance, is going bananas. Uh, we're building houses at right. you know, record high paces. That's good. So it's not all bad right now. Yeah, that's uh, that, that 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 is true. Um, that's right, and I, that that's true. At least in, I'm in Northern Virginia, and a lot of our folks are in St. Louis and San Diego. It does seem like that's so, all right. Hey, John Carney, thank you for taking the time, uh, and we appreciate it. Again, follow him at Carney on Twitter. Breitbart.com is where he's writing. There's a, he's got a piece up. I'll put it on social media from earlier Friday about the analysis on the jobs numbers. Appreciate it very much, Carney. Thank you. Thanks for having me, man. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with our old friend, Dr. Ted Malik, author, professor, businessman. Uh, and, of course, he is a writes a column, uh, often at American Greatness, sometimes other places. It's up, One is up at uh, a day or so ago. Amgreatness.com is the site. I'll put up his piece. Title is uh, Rediscovering Virtue. More than ever, we need a pause and a turn, a complete about face, so, so, so as to rediscover and practice the original best virtues. Before we get to your piece, Ted, I want to ask you this, because I think this is right. And, and you know, you're you are a professor and more highly educated than I am. Obviously, everybody knows that. But um, I said last week on this show that uh, that doing bad is a habit, just like doing good. And which is a virtue and to me, virtues are habits. You know, this is, I think, Aristotelian, you know, the idea that you make habits and you have to start to do. And when you see people doing bad over and over again, you know, it's not just sort of one off. It's a habit. It's a kind of way of thinking about the world. It feels like a lot of people that just got into power, they just know how to do bad things over and over again. It's the opposite of virtue, isn't it? It is. And, you know, you are right that uh, virtues and vices, their opposite are habituated uh, so that you have to both encourage the practice of virtue and discourage the temptation to um, practice vice. So, of course, uh, what I wrote about in this piece and which seems to some extent now like something we're losing or could be even lost, I hate to say that, uh, means that we have to rediscover what is good, what is beautiful, and what is true. Uh, I happen to believe, I know you do and your audience does, that that is part Mm -hmm. of the transcendent truth that undergirds the reality of our universe. And many people, uh, not just on the political left, but, you know, secular people and, frankly, in many uh, places, Uh, have jettisoned that. So I'm asking people, uh, particularly in this long, dark first year of the illegitimate reign of Joseph the Senile, uh, to to consider this kind of political wokeism, if you want to give it a name, which is the name I give it, and, and, and basically say, should we not stop and turn and face this other truth and maybe do an about face. Uh, I I happen Mm. to think that 
you know, politics done by edict, which is what we have right now. We, we obviously, you know, had had, a, had an election that was contested at uh, certainly illegitimate. We have troops surrounding our capital. Dissenters are dismissed. Uh, you know, conservatives are being de- deplatformed, uh, outed, and canceled everywhere. I mean, this is in fact what the neo-Marxist uh, philosopher Herbert Marcuse referred to as repressive tolerance. So we're actually in that phase of the leftist regime, and I'm asking people to maybe just to take a minute. Now, I think that on our side, people are more willing to take that minute, but maybe there are some who are educated on the other side. And to think about our own Western tradition, the pagan virtues of courage, justice, temperance, and prudence, and what we in religious circles, uh, and that that would include, you know, all of the three great uh, American traditions of Judaism, uh, you know, uh, Catholicism and Protestantism called the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. Charity, of course, love, the greatest of those. Uh, so we need to go back to those because those are very different than the kind of virtue signaling and grandstanding that we see today on the left. It's uh, at the very end of your piece. We're talking with Ted Malik, and again, I'll put it up on social media in American Greatest. The, the final paragraph says this In the darkest hours, sometimes the human will can bend back to its best frame of reference, to that which has carried it down the centuries and sustained all human flourishing. Uh, and I guess I, I could go on in the next sentence, but that's the one that struck me. Um, but, Ted, uh, the, I don't know how to say this except to say, all the systems that we're living in, the, the media, the technology, uh, the frenetic pace of, of modern, you know, industrial information age, it, it, it doesn't lend itself to these pauses that you describe. And, you know, I tell people one thing about Trump that I thought was helpful of the of the way he said America first is he, he basically challenged our priorities. You say, you know, if you put your neighbor's good over your own good, after a while, your family's going to starve. And it's, it was like he was he was saying, change your priorities. It was an opportunity to change all your priorities. If you're if you're materialistic, change your priorities. But it doesn't feel like we can catch our breath enough. It's almost like I wish you could ordain Ted Malik like uh, we're going to have a blackout it's going to be a blackout of all technology a- a- for a week and during that period you can reset we just had a pandemic shutdown it doesn't feel like people were able to find the 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 the, the, the human will to bend back as you say to that best frame of reference I, I don't know what what can shock that I, is there a reawakening are we waiting for a charismatic leader to point that way I how will we get the system to adjust when the system's so fast in the way it is? Well, it's a very legitimate question, and there's not an easy answer to it. My answer is that we need to practice uh, what we know to be the sabbatical. We need to, every seven days at least, take a day and communicate uh, with our traditions, with our families, with our religious histories, to immerse ourselves, frankly, in, in sacred uh, texts, to, to delve deeply into prayer, and to think and meditate upon these things. I mean, some of us do that every day and have a period of mm-hmm. devotion every day, and I would encourage people to have that kind of discipline, that kind of spiritual orientation, but to do it at least occasionally. 
Uh, is it more difficult to do in a pandemic? You know, arguably, because we don't have a communion or a fellowship of believers. You know, we're not going to mass or to church or to synagogue, temple, whatever. So the question is, how do we in ourselves regulate that tempo? And I think it is very incumbent on individuals and small groups of people to do that. Uh, other, otherwise, you know, we, we are literally stuck in place and the world, you know, rushes over us and around us and over us. And uh, there is no then possibility of, uh, of deep reflection. And, and I mean, this has to do in our Western tradition, which is thousands of years old. So it, it's pre-Christian in effect. It has to do with this notion that I talk about of excellence, of phrenesis, which is of course practical moral wisdom, and of something the founders knew well, that, and Jefferson and Franklin used this term, eudaimonia, which is of course in Greek, flourishing. And that's what mm. they meant when they said life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness is about that flourishing. Uh, and we need to yeah. remind them. Otherwise, we uh, do we're not have a country. We're talking with uh, Ted Malik and uh, his piece again, which is uh, over on uh, AmericanGreatness.com. It's uh, it's uh, it's different for Ted, although it's not different if you know Ted. He's been on the show many times. It's uh, he's he's always uh, grappling with these. It's called rediscovering virtue. More than ever, we need a pause and a turn. Uh, Ted, last question. You've lived a lot of your life and spent a lot of time in Europe. Uh, Europe's twenty five years ahead of us in terms of the emptying out of the churches, which is at least is at least one of the ways you get this virtue. Uh, you know, uh, tradition in, in in a society. How bad are you know? How bad is Europe? I mean, how how likely is that the path we're on? Uh, Europe is more advanced. It is more secular. Uh, it is less connected in many ways to these traditions. Although there are persons and places in Europe that are still connected in traditions that are still you know very strong in Europe. Uh, I would hope that we're not going down the European socialized path. That would be, of course, a, a catastrophe for America, which still has a strong belief in God and still has a strong uh, preference for religious practice. Uh, I myself, and I, I know you have, we've talked about this, love being in Europe, love those traditions, you know, spend time in the in the I mean the great cathedrals, if you will, uh, and and uh, you know you think about uh, and again I you know think about our own education, the scholastic education that represents uh, you know human activity of necessitas and mythical inventions and the whole classical uh, education. Uh, and today, these are like the virtues themselves being wiped away, forgotten, or worse, yeah. in some case, thrown in the waste bin of history. And those who yeah. practice them, I mean, nonsensically, are cursed as racist and fascistic. So we we, yeah. we do have something to defend. That's what it means to be a defender of the faith. Yeah. All right, I got to run. Ted Malik, I'm up against the deadline. Ted Malik, as always, so interesting. And the the, uh, essay again, Rediscovering Virtue. We'll uh, put it on social media. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this broadcast continues the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and stands against forces that mock traditional values, slander America, and redefine the family. 
Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. No one denies that America is in the middle of a student loan crisis. A staggering $1.6 trillion is owed by 45 million American students. That puts the average debt at $33,000 and the average monthly payment at nearly 400 bucks. You don't have to be on the right or left to see this as a crisis. You just have to be breathing. Every one of us knows that something must be done. However, where Republicans and Democrats differ is on the best solution to this problem. For Democrats, the solution of choice is student loan forgiveness. They want to have the federal government step in to pay off the individual loans, thus relieving the burden from the student. Like most liberal giveaways, it sounds great in theory, but has a few big problems that should not be overlooked. First, and most obviously, there's no such thing as the government paying for anything. If they spend money, it's only because they took it from someone else. Under the plans being proposed by leading Democrats, it would be up to poor people who never went to college to foot the bill for wealthy college graduates. Who in their right mind wants someone washing dishes to pay for a doctor's medical school bills? It doesn't make any sense. Another problem with student loan forgiveness is that it rewards bad decisions. The reason college costs as much as it does right now is because government gives massive piles of cash to schools without any oversight. In an effort to attract young 18-year-olds to their campuses, schools deck themselves out with water slides and free steakhouses for students to enjoy. If the government completely foots the bill for students, lavish expenses and exorbitant prices will only go up from here. If someone wants to go to a ritzy university for a degree in medieval poetry, well, that's fine by me. Just don't expect your school bill to be paid by honest and hardworking janitors and garbage collectors. The first lesson any student should learn is that decisions have consequences. And sending government in to save the day only sets people up for a lifetime of failure, regret, and dependency. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Do you have a college-bound son or daughter? Do you care about the next generation? At phyllisschlafly.com, we expose the liberal agenda and anti-Christian mindset found on most college campuses and help equip conservative students to stand up for their beliefs. Visit us at phyllisschlafly.com and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, earlier on the radio show, on, the, on my Periscope, I talked about uh, Julie Kelly. Let me just tell you two authors that you should read everything they write, whatever they say. One is Julie Kelly, at Julie underscore Kelly, number two, at Julie underscore Kelly, number two, and uh, Lee Smith, at Lee Smith, D.C. These two are phenomenal. And then uh, those two are great authors. And then as we talked to John Carney earlier, go to Breitbart.com. Those guys are really smart and on top of things, so do that. All right, uh, let me get a couple of things off my chest. First of all, I do want to uh, make a prediction. Uh, I come from Missouri. Uh, we are the show-me state. I am predicting that um, the Kansas City Chiefs 
will prevail. I think they'll win by maybe two points. I think the spread is three points. I think they'll win by one or two points. It'll go down to the wire. I would not be surprised if Brady pulls it out. He just is that kind of, uh, he is that kind of, um, uh, person. Um, the, uh, so you, you just need to know it's uh, going to be really close and really fun. And that kid is a great kid. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, my friends that live in Kansas city say he's a wonderful presence in the community too. So, uh, that should be really fun. Um, we, uh, we will be watching, uh, and we'll be excited. All right. Uh, also let me cover today, um, that, uh, I want to talk about, um, I want to mention whoever doesn't have power in the Senate uses the procedures to cause require, uh, to require amendment votes on certain bills and they can go on forever. So last night into the wee hours, there was 40 or 50 votes on amendments. And what happens is the party out of power, uh, makes the party in power vote on stuff that may politically be bad. Here's the problem. People are so sick of the swamp that it doesn't matter that last night the Republicans were able to get the Democrats to vote down pro-life legislation. The, the Democrats don't care. In fact, what's really stupid about it is during Voterama, there was a, a, a Joni Ernst, I think, proposed a very good pro-life amendment. That's good, except everybody knows it's going to go down. It's all managed ahead of time. And instead of that mattering, what you get is uh, Ben Sass gets up to defend the pro-life bill and pretends that he's a hero for conservatives because he's a fraud. And then you you get Joe Manchin and Pat uh, Pat Casey, two Democrats, uh, Manchin's from West Virginia, Casey's from Pennsylvania, and they both vote for the pro-life amendment. And so they look like they're pro-life and they go back and they tell their constituents, I may be Democrat and the president of the United States may be doing very pro-abortion things, but I voted for the pro-life uh, amendment and they get credit. So the Voterama is just total inside swamp nonsense and it's just a waste of time. It's useless. And in fact, it's worse than useless. It's counterproductive for what we the people believe in. It's ridiculous. It actually is ridiculous. And so when you watch that stuff, I mean, there'll be all kinds of news. I, I, the, the description of the pro-life uh, uh, fight over, I mean, look, I'm, I'm pro-life. I'm happy to have pro-life. I'm, I like the idea that there's pro-life votes. That's all good. But, you know, I, I watch this and I'm like, I just think, does anybody realize how dumb this is? Does anybody realize how uh, how ridiculous this process is and how it doesn't really accomplish the things that we're told it will? It doesn't. Re- In fact, it does the opposite. It gives cover to some of the people that are. Um, that are uh, want cover like uh, the 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 uh, Senator Casey and Senator Manchin. Okay, one more uh, comment on a wrap up stuff. I mentioned earlier Julie K- Julie Kelly. Her piece is over at America. Uh, excuse me, uh, Am Greatness. It's really worth reading. It's called America's Political Prisoners First. It's all about how the the people uh, in power are using the January 6th event to persecute people. That's the right word. Because on her Twitter feed, what she points to, what she's looking at, almost always is helpful for you and me. I do it all the time. That's the place I go. It's one of the places I go to stay up to speed on stuff. You should too. So Julie underscore Kelly, number two, uh, well worth it. And check that out. Okay. Uh, Let me see. It's, I think that's all I've got. I'm checking here for some notes. I told you Kansas City Chiefs will win. So uh, that's going to be fun. And that's about all I got. Okay, everybody. I want to say thank you as always to the great, uh, uh, our great technical director, producer, executive producer, all the different 
different titles he wears. Basically, I talk, and Noah puts it all together. So thank you to Noah for doing all that. Joanna from our Eagles Network in St. Louis, who helps book a lot of these guests. It's a big help. And thank you for you guys listening. Don't forget, please head over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and get signed in there. You can get our daily email, The Wink. You can read the, uh, read, excuse me, listen to the interviews of so many great folks we have. All that is available there. So thank you for doing that. Have a great weekend, everybody. I will talk to you next week. Go Chiefs. Talk to you then. San Diego.